Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nostalgic Mystery Radio. I'm your host, Stevie Kay, and it's my honor to bring you the radio shows of yesteryear. For this episode, I bring you Agatha Christie's Hercule Poirot, episode titled The Mystery of the Blue Train, where Poirot investigates the brutal murder of American heiress and theft of a fabulous ruby on the blue train from Calais to Nice. This will be a four-part series, so sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy this Nostalgic Mystery Radio. Thank you for listening. Miss Gray, is it not? Yes, I am Miss Gray. Oh, welcome to Nice. I'm Chubby. Uh, Chubby Evans, Lady Tamplin's husband. I expect she mentioned me, uh, but perhaps she forgot. Now then, have you got your billet de bagage? I lost mine when I came out this year, and you would not believe the fuss they made about it. Regular French red tape, what? <laughs> A moment, mademoiselle, if you please. Yes, what is it? I regret, mademoiselle, but I must ask you to accompany me. There are certain police formalities that need to be completed. There, what did I tell you? It will not take a moment, mademoiselle, if you will come this way. Oh, well, I uh, suppose you'll have to go. Uh, my car's outside the station. I'll be waiting for you there. Where are we going? To this carriage here, mademoiselle. But that's one of the coaches from the blue train, surely. What is this all about? This way, mademoiselle. Pray be seated, mademoiselle. I am <clears throat> Monsieur Coe, commissaire of police. I don't understand what is going on. Do you wish to see my passport? What I really desire, mademoiselle, is a little information. Information? Hmm. About a lady who has been a fellow passenger of yours. You lunched with her yesterday. The American lady... She was a complete stranger to me. I had never seen her before. And yet you returned to a compartment with her after lunch and sat talking for some time. You can perhaps give me some kind of idea of that conversation? I could, but at the moment I see no reason to do so. Mademoiselle, the reason is very simple. The lady in question was found dead in her compartment this morning. Dead? What happened? Did she have a heart attack? No. No, mademoiselle. She was murdered. Murdered? So you see, mademoiselle, why we are anxious for any information we can possibly get. I see. But couldn't her maid The maid has disappeared. Oh. I don't really see what use I can be. I don't even know her name. Her name is Kettering. That we know from her passport and from the labels on her luggage. If we could only... Excuse me, Monsieur le Commissaire, but there is a gentleman asking to speak with you. He gave me this card. I cannot be disturbed now. Tell him... Hercule Poirot. Let me ask the gentleman to come in, please. Certainly, Monsieur le Commissaire. Come in, Monsieur. Monsieur Poirot? The same. I remember meeting you, Monsieur Coe, at the Sûreté in Paris. Though, doubtless, you have forgotten me. Not at all, Monsieur, not at all. 
You have um, heard of our little incident? I have heard. I come to see if I might be of any assistance. You should be flattered, monsieur. Let me present you, Monsieur Poirot, to Mademoiselle Grey. I have already had the honor. Yes. I have been explaining to the commissaire that this poor lady was a complete stranger to me. But she talked to you, did she not? You formed an impression, is it not so? Yes, I suppose I did. And that impression was... Yes, mademoiselle, let us by all means have your impressions. She was an American, very wealthy, I think. She... she told me she was in terrible trouble. Mm -hmm. There was a man whom she had loved when she was young, from whom she had been parted by her father. She... Go on, mademoiselle. She said that her husband had treated her disgracefully and that her father wanted her to divorce him. But she was going to meet this other man. Without her father's knowledge? She said that he would think it extraordinarily foolish. She became quite hysterical. She said she knew something terrible was going to happen. And so it did. I tried to persuade her to send her father a wire from Paris to come and fetch her. I don't think it did any good. She didn't... She didn't kill herself. No. It is not possible, mademoiselle. She was strangled with a length of black cord. Oh. It is not nice, no. But you have great courage, mademoiselle. And that is why I'm going to ask you to do something more. Something distressing, but I assure you, very necessary. What is it? I am going to ask you, mademoiselle, to be so good as to accompany me to her compartment. Must I? Someone must identify her. And since the maid has disappeared, you seem to be the person who has seen most of her since she joined the train. Very well. If it is necessary. Mademoiselle is sensible. May I accompany you, Monsieur Cole? Enchanté, my dear Monsieur Poirot. Enchanté. This will not be very pleasant, mademoiselle. Her face has been very badly disfigured. Oh, no. Mm. When was that done, I wonder? Before death or after? The doctor says after. Very strange. You must be brave, mademoiselle, and study her closely. Are you sure that this is the woman you talked to yesterday? I am quite sure. The face, she's been too battered for me to recognize her. But the build and the hair are exact. And besides, there, this little mole on her wrist... I noticed it yesterday while she was talking to me. Ah, you are an excellent witness, mademoiselle. There is then no question of the identity, but it is strange all the same. Perhaps in a fit of rage. Mm. If she had been struck down, it would have been comprehensible, but the man who strangled her slipped up behind, caught her unawares. A little choke, a little gurgle, that is all that would be heard. And then afterwards, that smashing blow to the face. Now, why? Did he hope that if the face were unrecognizable, she might not be identified, or 
Did he hate her so much that he could not resist striking that blow even after she was dead? Oh, it's horrible. She was convinced that something terrible was going to happen to her. Now, you must not let me distress you, mademoiselle. To you, all this is very new and terrible to me, alas. It is an old story. Mademoiselle, I must ask you to look around the compartment very carefully. I want to know if you see anything changed, anything missing. It's hard to tell. Her fur coat's still where it was. Her hat box, her suitcase... Yes. There is something missing. Hmm? A scarlet Morocco case. It had the initials RVK on it. It might have been a small dressing case or a big jewel case. When I saw it last, the maid was holding it. Ah, is that so? But surely... I... (laughs) Of course, I don't know anything about such things, but surely it is plain enough if the maid... And the jewel case are missing. You mean that it was the maid who was the thief? No, mademoiselle. There is a very good reason against that. What is it? The maid was left behind in Paris. I would like you to hear the conductor's story yourself, Monsieur Poirot. It is very interesting. Uh, mademoiselle would doubtless like to hear it also. You do not object, Monsieur le Commissaire? Uh, no, no, no. Certainly, Poirot, if you say so. Uh. You have uh, finished in here? I think so. Ah, no, wait a moment. On this rug. What is it? What have you found? Four auburn hairs. Ah, yes, they are from the head of madame. And what of it? Do you attach importance to them? No. Four hairs on a rug. What is important, what is not, one cannot say at this stage. But we must note each little fact carefully. Let us go and hear the conductor's evidence. It was after we had left the Gare de Lyon. I came along to make the beds, thinking that Madame would be at dinner, but she had a dinner basket in her compartment. She said to me that she had been obliged to leave her maid behind in Paris, so that I need make up only one berth. She took her dinner basket into the adjoining compartment and sat there while I made up the bed. Then she told me that she did not wish to be wakened early in the morning, that she liked to sleep on. I told her I quite understood. She wished me good night. You, you yourself did not go into the adjoining compartment? No, monsieur. Then you did not happen to notice if a scarlet Morocco case was among the baggage there? No, monsieur, I did not. Would it have been possible for a man to have been concealed in the adjoining compartment? The door was half open. If a man had stood behind that door, I should not have been able to see him. But, of course, he would have been perfectly visible to Madame when she went in there. Uh, quite, quite so. Is there anything else you have to tell us? I can't remember anything else. And this morning? As Madame had ordered, I did not disturb her. It was not until just before Cannes that I ventured to knock at the door. Getting no reply, I opened it. The lady appeared to be asleep. I took her by the shoulder and tried to rouse her and... And then I... Yeah, yes, yes. Thank you, Monsieur Michel. I, I think I know all that I want to know. Uh, very good, Monsieur. Thank you again, Monsieur. So, where does that get us, hmm? According to the medical evidence, the lady was probably dead before the train reached Lyon. Who then was the murderer? From Mademoiselle Gray's story, it seems clear that somewhere on her journey she was to meet this man of whom she spoke. Her action in getting rid of the maid seems significant. 
Did the man join the train at Paris? And did she conceal him in the adjoining compartment? If so, did they quarrel? And did he kill her in a fit of rage? Oh, it is a possibility, I suppose. Mm. And uh, you, mademoiselle, you heard and saw nothing during the night? Nothing, no. No. I think that we need not detain mademoiselle any longer. But we shall need your address, mademoiselle. I am staying with Lady Templin at the Villa Marguerite. She is my cousin. Thank you, mademoiselle. I will escort you to your friend's car. I trust he is still there. I uh, hope that you will permit me to see you again, mademoiselle. Or have you so many friends that your time will be all taken up? On the contrary, I shall have plenty of leisure. And I shall be very pleased to see you again, Monsieur Poirot. Excellent. This shall be our own detective story. We will investigate this affair together. I say, uh, Miss Poirot... Ah, there's your friend, patiently waiting. Au revoir, mademoiselle. Au revoir, monsieur. But how terribly exciting, Catherine, my dear. We plunged right into the thick of it all the moment you arrived. You're so lucky. Well, I hadn't the foggiest what was going on. I mean, collared by the police the moment she stepped off the train. I didn't know what to think. Yes, well, thinking isn't really your forty, is it, chubby darling? But my dear Catherine, what an opportunity. I think, you know, one might be able to make something out of all this. <sighs> I don't understand. What do you mean? A little account of it all, you know, cleverly written up. How I chatted with the murdered woman, last person to see her alive sort of thing. Uh, what rot. Lennox, you have no idea, Catherine, my dear, what the newspapers will pay for a little titbit. Written, of course, by someone of unimpeachable social position. I would much prefer to do nothing of the kind. Really striking young woman, I think you said. I wonder now who she would have been. You didn't hear her name. It was mentioned, but I can't remember it. But that's scarcely surprising. I should think so. It must have been a beastly shock. Yes, it was. Would you like to go up and see your room, Catherine? You could do with the rest, I fancy. Thank you. That's very kind. Come along, then. Thank you. I wasn't quite sure how much... Hmm. Nice thing, isn't she? Have you noticed those grey eyes, Hot? <laughs> Never mind her eyes, Chubby. We're discussing things that really matter. Oh, uh, yes, quite. She mm. doesn't seem to me to be very uh, malleable. What's that? Oh, never mind. At least I don't think she'll turn out to be mean. <sighs> you mustn't mind, Mother. She'd make a few pennies profit out of her dying grandmother if she could. I don't mind her in the least. It was just rather unexpected, that's all. Why did you come? To us, I mean. We're not your sort. Oh, oh I am anxious to get into society. <laughs> Don't be an ass. I like you. You're frankly sincere and upright and all those queer things, but you're not a fool. Leonard! Leonard! Oh, hell. What's she want now? What is it? Leonard's Derek has just rung up. He wants to come to dinner tonight. Will it be all right? I mean, we haven't got anything awkward, like quails, have we? No, Mother, it'll be all right. Such a relief. I'm glad Derek's coming. At least he'll keep Mother in order. You'll like him. Who is Derek? He's Lord Leckenbury's son. He married some frightfully rich American woman. 
women are simply potty about him. Why? Oh, the usual reasons. Very good looking and a regular bad lot. Oh. Everyone goes off their heads about him. Do you? Sometimes I do. And sometimes I think I'd like to marry a nice curate and live in the country and grow things in frames. An Irish curate would be best, and then I could hunt. <laughs> I can't think of anything I'd like less. <laughs> There's something odd about Derek. All that family are a bit potty, mad gamblers, you know. In the old days, they used to gamble away their wives and their estates and did most reckless things for the love of it. Derek would have made a perfect highwayman, dashing and debonair. <laughs> oh, good Lord, how I do go on. Come down when you feel like it. Catherine, you look enchanting. Another fantastic dress. Thank you. Uh, you don't mind me calling you Catherine, do you? Rosalie says you're her proper cousin. I so don't I mind in the least. Oh, good. Now, do you play tennis? Uh, not really. You see, I've scarcely uh, had time to... said you wouldn't. She said companions wind wool and wash dogs most of the day. Oh, <laughs> Here's Derek. Derek, this is Catherine Gray. She's mother's cousin, but don't let that put you off. We have met before. I knew I was going to meet you again soon, but I never dreamt that it would be here. It, it, it had to be, you know. Once at the Savoy and once at Cook's. Never twice without three times. But this is not the third time. It is the fourth. I saw you on the blue train. On the blue train? What was the rumpus this morning? Somebody had died, hadn't they? Yes, somebody had died. You shouldn't die on a train. I believe it causes all sorts of legal and international complications. And it gives the train an excuse for being even later than usual. Mr Kettering? Ah, Mr Kettering, this note was sent here for you. Thank you. Oh, this is most extraordinary. Uh, I say, Lennox, I'm afraid I shall have to leave. Oh, no. The prefect of police wants to see me at once. I can't think what about. Your sins have found you out. They must have. It had better be pretty serious if it's going to make me miss dinner. Where's Rosalie? On the terrace, I think. I'll go and make my apologies. Good night. Good night. Kettering. Yes, Derek Kettering. What's the matter? That was the name of the woman on the train. The woman who was murdered? Yes. And I saw him going into her compartment in the middle of the night. Derek? Did you tell the police? No, I didn't. Until this moment, I didn't know whether it was just part of my dream. But now, I'm sure... You must have been mistaken, Knighton. It's just not possible. I assure you, sir, there's no mistake. You saw Ruth's maid in Paris last night. Not just saw. I actually spoke to her. Well, tell me exactly what happened. I had fixed up the deal with Bartheimers, and I'd gone back to the Ritz to pick up my traps before having dinner and catching the nine o'clock train from the Gare du Nord. Yeah. At the reception desk, I saw a woman whom I was quite sure was Mrs. Kettering's maid. Well, I went up to her and asked if Mrs. Kettering was staying there. Naturally. And she told you that Ruth had gone on to the Riviera and had sent her to the Ritz to await further orders. Exactly that, sir. Mm, very odd, very odd indeed. And unless the woman had been impertinent or something of the kind, she, she didn't give any reason for this change of plan. She said, sir, that Mrs. Kettering had met a friend unexpectedly. Is that so? Man or woman? 
I think she said a man, sir. There's one thing no man can do, and that is to get a woman to listen to reason. And not one in ten of them knows a scoundrel when she meets one. Come in! Telegram for Mr. Van Alden. Thank you. Here we are, sir. Thank you. Oh, my God. What's the matter, sir? Ruth. Mrs. Kettering? Dead. An accident to the train? No, they don't use the word nighting, but I think my poor girl's been murdered. My God. This is from the police and me, sir. I must get out there by the next train. There's a five o'clock from Victoria. Right. You, you, you'll come with me, Knighton. See to everything here. Of course. I want to get round to Curzon Street. Oh. Hello, Mr. Van Alden, sweet. Mr. Goby's in reception, sir. Goby? The agent you set to tail Derek Kettering. Oh, oh yes. Tell him to come on up. Uh, will you please tell him? No, no, Mr. no. Wait a minute. Let me speak to him. I'm, um... I'm pressed for time, Gobi. Uh, you got anything important to tell me? The movements of Mr. Kettering, sir. You wish them to be reported to you. Well? Uh, Mr. Kettering, sir, left London for the Riviera yesterday morning. What? Which train did he go on? The blue train, sir. Mademoiselle Mirel, the dancer, was on the same train. My name is Carrège. I have been appointed the juge d'instruction on this case, Monsieur Van Alden. Uh, may I express my deepest sympathy? Thank you. Uh, may I present to you Monsieur Hercule Poirot, whom I have asked to be present. Monsieur. Uh, you yeah. have doubtless heard of him. He retired as chief of the Belgian force some years ago, but his name is still a household word as one of the greatest living detectives. Mm. Oh. <laughs> Pleased to meet you, Monsieur Poirot. Well, I happened myself to be travelling on the blue train, which is why I came to be involved in this investigation. I uh, propose to begin... By interviewing the maid, Ada Misson. Uh, she is here with you, Mr. Van Oden, I understand? Yes, we picked her up as we were coming through Paris. Uh, we will have her in, then. <coughs> ah, uh, do come in, mademoiselle. Oh, thank you, sir. Uh, please, uh, be seated. Oh, thank you, sir. <coughs> uh, your name is Ada Misson, is that right? Ada Beatrice, sir. Ah, Ada Beatrice. Now, uh, mademoiselle... Let us talk this affair over. There was, I understand, no question of your leaving the train in Paris uh, when you started from London? Oh, no, sir. I was to go straight through to Nice with Madame. Hmm. Uh, have you ever been abroad with your mistress before? Uh, no, sir. I'd only been with her two months, you see. Did you perceive anything uh, unusual about her on the journey? Was she quite as usual? Oh, she, she, she seemed rather worried and a bit upset, and she was rather difficult to please. I see. Now then, uh, what was the first you heard of your stopping in Paris? Well, it, it was at the place they call the Garde Lyon, sir. Yes. My mistress said she was going to get out and walk up and down the platform. She was just going out into the corridor when she gave a sudden exclamation and came back into the compartment with, with a gentleman. I see. She, she shut the door between her compartment and mine so that I didn't see or hear anything till she suddenly opened it again and told me she had changed her plans. 
she gave me some money and told me to get off and go to the Ritz Hotel. I was to wait there until I heard from her. She would wire me what she wanted me to do. Mm. While Mrs. Kettering was telling you all this, uh, where was the gentleman? Oh, he was standing in the other compartment, sir, looking out of the window. Uh, would you describe him to us? Well, you see, sir, I hardly saw him. Ah. He had his back to me most of the time. Mm. He was a tall gentleman and, and dark. That's all I can say with certainty. Mm. He was dressed very like any other gentleman in a, in a dark blue overcoat and a grey hat. Mm. Was he one of the passengers on the train? Oh, I... I don't think so, sir. I took it that he'd come to the station to see Mrs. Kettering in passing through. Very well. Now then, uh, your mistress later requested the conductor not to rouse her early in the morning. Was uh, was that a likely thing for her to do, do you think? Oh, yes, sir. The mistress never took breakfast, and she didn't sleep well at nights, so that she liked sleeping on in the morning. Now, well... Uh, Amongst the luggage, there was a scarlet Morocco case, was there not? Uh, Mrs. Kettering's jewel case? Yes, sir. Did you take that case to the Ritz? Of course not, sir. Where should I do a thing like that? You left it behind in the carriage with your mistress? Yes, sir. Uh, had your mistress much jewellery with her, do you know? Oh, uh, a fair amount, sir. Uh. Why, they told me the rubies alone were worth several hundred thousand pounds. Which rubies? Well, I, I think it was you that gave them to her, Mr. Van Alden, not very long ago. My God, she must have been mad to take them with her. I told her to deposit them at the bank. What on earth could have uh, made For the do? moment, Mademoiselle Maison, I think that is all. Oh, very well, sir. Thank you. Thank you. I, uh, I think you should see this, Monsieur Van Alden. It was found in the handbag of Madame Kettering. Oh. Thank you. Cher ami, I will obey you. I will be prudent, discreet, all those things a lover most hates. Paris would perhaps have been unwise, but the Ile d'Or are far away from the world, and you may be assured that nothing will be discovered. It's like you and your divine sympathy to be interested in the work on famous jewels that I'm writing... It will indeed be an extraordinary privilege to see and to handle these legendary rubies. You're ever adoring Armand. They are hard to fire, so that is what it is all about. It seems the heart of fire has claimed yet another victim. <coughs> yes. Perhaps you will tell us in your own words, Monsieur Van Alden, all that you know of this gentleman. Certainly. Well, it began 11 or 12 years ago in Paris, my... My daughter was a young girl then, full of foolish, romantic notions, you know, like all girls are. Well, unknown to me, she made the acquaintance of this Comte de la Roche. Frankly, I doubt whether he has any right to that title. No, you would look in vain for his name in the Almanac de Gautin. Mm, you're quite right. The Comte de la Roche is well known to us, but he is canning. His affair always conducted with ladies of high social position. If he obtains money from them under false pretenses, naturally they will not prosecute. Yeah, that's so. I can tell you I broke the affair up pretty sharply. I told Ruth exactly what he was, and she had no choice but to believe me. But only a week ago I discovered to my amazement that my daughter had resumed her acquaintance with this Comte de la Roche. Mm. 
She had been meeting him frequently in London and Paris. I told her she was being very foolish, for on my advice she was planning to bring a suit for divorce against her husband. Really, this is very interesting. I pointed out to her the gravity of continuing to see the Compton of the circumstances. I thought she'd agreed with me. Yes, but according to that letter, Monsieur Van Ogen... I know, you don't have to tell me. How Ruth could be such a fool. All this talk about writing a book on jewels... He must have been after the rubies from the word go. Um, monsieur, there was a rumor recently that the heart of fire ruby had passed into the hands of wealthy American. Are we right in concluding that monsieur was the purchaser? Mm, yes, monsieur Poirot. They came into my position in Paris about ten days ago. Ah, then pardon me, monsieur, but have you been negotiating for their purchase for some time? Well, a little over two months. Uh, why? Well, these things have a way of becoming known. Now, Monsieur Van Alden, let mm. us start to put our facts in order. According to our present theory, this is how they run. The Comte de la Roche knows of your purchase of the rubies. Because of his past attachment to your daughter, it is an easy matter to induce her to bring the stones with her. He, then, is the man Mason saw in the train in Paris. That would seem to be in accordance with what we know. Uh, ah, well, madame is surprised to see him at the Gare de Lyon, but he deals with the situation promptly. Mason is got out of the way, and a dinner basket is ordered, so no one knows of his presence on the train except madame. They are alone, and the train rushes through the night. There would be no outcry, no struggle, for the man is, she thinks, her lover. Her death, monsieur, must have been almost instantaneous. We will pass over that quickly. The Comte takes the jewel case, and shortly afterwards, the train draws into Lyon. Precisely, Monsieur Poirot. It would have been easy for Delaroche to leave the train unseen at Lyon uh. and catch a train back to Paris or anywhere he pleases. The crime would be put down as an ordinary train robbery. Mm. But for the letter found in Madame Kettering's bag, the Comte would not have been mentioned. Yes, it is strange that he should have left it. Without doubt, he thought she had destroyed the letter. It was a... Pardon me, Monsieur Van Orden, but it was an indiscretion only a woman in love would commit. Yeah, but how was it that, knowing women as he does, Delaroche did not see that Madame would have kept that letter? Oh, yes, there is something in what you say, but at such times you understand a man is not master of himself. If he did indeed commit the crime. Hmm? If? You say if? Yes, Monsieur, I say if. You are right. We go too fast. It is possible that the Comte may have an alibi. Then we should look foolish. Oh, the alibi. It is of no importance whatsoever. Naturally, if he committed the crime, he would have an alibi. A man with the Comte's experience does not neglect to take precautions. No. I said if for a very definite reason. And what was that? The psychology. What do you mean by that? Well, the psychology is wrong. The Comte is a scoundrel, yes. The Comte preys upon women, yes. He proposes to steal the heart of fire again, yes. But is he the kind of man to commit murder? I think not. A man like the Comte is always a coward. He takes no risks. He plays the safe, what the English call the low-down game, but murder, no. Now, but the day always comes when such entry lose their heads and go too far. No, no, no. I am satisfied in my own mind that the Comte is the man we need to get hold of. It will be 
difficult to lay hands on him, I'm afraid, but we will do our best. Oh, you will find him at the Villa Marina in Antibes. You teach us all our business, Monsieur Poirot. <laughs> no, no, it is my hobby to know things. And what is your view, Monsieur Van Alden? Hmm? Oh. Are you certain that the Comte de la Roche is the murderer? Well, everything points to him, but does my son-in-law know about Ruth's death? He, he is a niece, I understand. Oh, yes, monsieur. You are doubtless aware that Monsieur Kettering was also one of the passengers on the blue train that night. Yes, a fact I discovered just before I left London. Uh, Monsieur Kettering has told us he had no idea his wife was travelling on the train. <laughs> I bet he hadn't. He'd have had a nasty shock if he'd run into her. How do you mean, monsieur? If you want some measure of what my poor child has had to put up with, you'd better know that Kettering wasn't alone. He had a lady with him. A lady? Mirelle, the dancer. Mirelle? Oh! oh. One wonder. One of rumors. The lady is very notorious. And also very expensive. <laughs> this is no laughing matter. That decadent aristocrat who married my daughter is nothing better than a damned scoundrel. No, permit me to ask, Monsieur Van Orden, but... Does Monsieur Kettering benefit by the death of his wife? Hmm. To the tune of a couple of million. Uh, dollars? Pounds. Pounds? Oh. I settled that sum on Ruth absolutely on her marriage. She made no will and leaves no children, so the money will go to her husband. Who she was on the point of divorcing. Are you implying that her I husband... I am implying nothing. I arrange the facts. That is all. <laughs> I do not think I can be of any further service to you, Monsieur Le Juge. You will keep me informed of the course of events? Oh, but certainly, most certainly. I take it you don't want me anymore at present? I know, monsieur. We have all the information we need for the moment. Thank you, then. Uh, I'll walk a little way with Mr. Perrault, that is, if he uh, does not object. I should be enchanted, monsieur. Thank you. I take it, Monsieur Poirot, that you no longer exercise your profession? Ah, that is so, Monsieur. I enjoy the world. And will you continue to assist the police in this affair? Monsieur, if a doctor is walking along the street and an accident happens under his nose, does he say, I have retired from my profession, I will continue my walk when there is someone bleeding to death at his feet? You were on the spot. Uh, you examined the compartment, did you not? Yeah, I did, yes. But doubtless you found things that were, uh, shall we say, uh, suggestive to you? Perhaps. I hope you see what I'm leading up to. It seems to me that the case against the Comte de la Roche is perfectly clear, but I'm not a fool. I've been watching you for this last hour or so, and I realize that for some reason of your own... You don't agree with that theory? Uh, I may be wrong. I'm a very rich man, Monsieur Poirot. It is usually said that a rich man labors under the belief that he can buy everything and everyone. That's not true. But I'm a big man in my way, and one big man can ask a favor from another big man. Ah, that, that is very well said, Monsieur Valorie. Then, Monsieur Poirot, will you act for me in this affair? Hmm? For you, personally? That was my meaning. I want to see Ruth's killer on the gallows. I want action, and I want it fast. But you realize what you are asking? I guess I do. Mm. Very well, then. Uh, I accept. But if I am going to act for you, Monsieur Van Alden, 
I must have frank answers to all my questions. Naturally, that is understood. Mm. Now, this little matter of the divorce, it was you who advised your daughter to bring the action, eh? Yes. And when does Mr. Kettering get news of what is in the wind? I sent for him myself and explained the course of action I proposed to take. And what did he say? He was damned impudent. Now, excuse the question, monsieur, but did he refer to the Comte de la Roche? Not by name, but he showed he was aware of what was going on. Mm. What, if I may ask, was Monsieur Kettering's financial position at the time? He was flat broke. <laughs> and now he has inherited two million pounds. Mm -hmm. oh, life it is a strange thing, is it not? But surely Monsieur Kettering did not propose to allow himself to be divorced without making a fight for it. I don't exactly know what his intentions were. Mm. And did you hold any further communications with him? No. Oh. It is no use. I must wish you good day, monsieur. I can do nothing for you. What are you getting at? No, if you do not tell me the truth, I can do nothing. I don't know what you mean. I think you do. No, you may rest assured, monsieur Reynolds, in that I know how to be discreet. Very well, then, monsieur Poirot. I'll admit that I wasn't speaking the truth just now. I... I did have further communications with my son-in-law. Yes. I sent my secretary, Major Knighton, to see him with instructions to offer him the sum of 100,000 pounds in cash if the divorce went through undefended. <laughs> A pretty sum of money. And what was the answer of Monsieur son-in-law? He told me to go to hell. Ah. Now then... Monsieur Kettering has told the police that he neither saw nor talked to his wife on the journey from England. Are you inclined to believe that statement, monsieur? Yes, I am. He would take particular care to keep out of her way, I should say. Why? Because he had that woman with him. Mirel. Who else? But how did you come to know that? I had set a man of mine to watch Kettering. He told me they both left by that train. I see. Mm, there is something in all this that does not quite fit in. It needs a little thought. I, I will communicate with you at your hotel, Monsieur Van Alden. Mystery Radio presentation. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to like and rate this podcast on your favorite app. Also, there's a Nostalgic Mystery Radio YouTube page for your perusal to subscribe to. You can contact me by emailing me at nostalgicmysteryradio at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day or evening. And again, thank you for listening. <laughs>